following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. Drew from the Chainsmokers said to me, at one point he was like the trick is like we all have taste in music we've all spent our whole life listening to music and if you can just be confident in yourself and know that your instincts are good and you don't have to worry about what an A&R is going to think or what a manager is going to think or what radio is going to think and just trust your instinct if you can remember that then you'll be in a good place Welcome to the Forbes Under 30 Podcast. I'm Steve Goldblum, your host. On this show, we speak with young entrepreneurs and innovators. Before we get going, big apologies for the poor audio quality during the first few minutes of the show. We had some technical difficulties, but after that, it's smooth sailing and a great interview. Enjoy. Today, we have Emily Warren in studio. She's a singer-songwriter. She's on the Forbes Under 30 music list for 2018. She's written for several high-profile artists like Shawn Mendes, Melanie Martinez, Sean Paul, and has been a frequent collaborator with the Chainsmokers. And she's not on Skype. She's sitting across from me. Thank you so much for coming in. Of course. Thanks for having me. In the fifth grade, you uh, showed a crush the lyrics that you wrote a song about them. Yeah. What, what happened? Him. You didn't, someone else took the lyrics you wrote and showed it to your fifth grade crush. Yeah, friend of mine. What happened? That was a huge disaster. That's funny that you have, that you know that. That's the first thing I wanted, yeah. <laughs> Above everything else. <laughs> Never mind the triple platinum stuff. Let's get, let's get right to the fifth grade. This is where it all began. Yeah. Um, I had written, I think it was the first song I'd written, or like one of the first songs I'd written, and um, a friend of mine printed the lyrics out and showed them to the kid they were about and it was I don't know why I think she was trying to like be cute about it and set us up that way yeah (laughs) but it was humiliating but anyways and taking a moment to thank our supporters Veridesk Amica Insurance and Rocket Mortgage more about these companies later in the show but were you always writing and 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 performing as a kid not at that point I mean I was taking piano lessons I had a teacher at that time uh, named Jen Bloom, who, um, she was a songwriter, and she'd play a song she'd written at the end of the lesson, and around that same time, I remember it clicking, being like, oh, human beings write songs. Yeah. And um, that's where it started, and that's that's when I started writing songs, which just because I realized that I could do it, and I started writing about this kid, <laughs> and then he saw the lyrics up. <laughs> that's not how it's supposed to go down, I don't think, but... But you say now when you're writing songs it's important to be vulnerable and put yourself out there. Yeah, totally. And do you think audiences can tell when you're not doing that? Um, I feel like I think yes. I mean, I think I can I sort of I know it's kind of presumptuous to say, but I think I can hear it too when I listen through songs on New Music Friday or whatever it is and I can sort of tell when it's been like a bunch of writers in a room trying to just write a song or if it's because someone was going through something and they worked from that. Right. Um, because those are the like if someone's being super honest, it's something that you can relate to. And I think when when something hits you like that, that's when you know it's coming from a true place. I think. <laughs> and you you said that you'll write 
50 songs and then step back, look at, and choose the best 10. Yeah. Is that is that true? Well, I, just in the sense that, like, I think before I even got any songs cut by an artist, I'd written hundreds and hundreds of songs. And even at this point, there's, like, a thousand songs in my box and, and my, like, on the hard drive, and a handful of them will actually get cut. So I think my perspective has always been it's not so much that every song needs to get cut or every song's the best song. It's kind of like your 10,000 hours and that they're all kind of practiced towards the one that sticks. Do you put that much... Do you, uh, it sounds like people do this for writing all the time. They don't like to put too much pressure on themselves. Yeah. They just want to write and then yeah. then look back and see. And that it's just like an excuse to get a lot of writing done. Totally. Yeah, it's hard. I think and pressure combined with music is a, is a huge thing and a huge problem just because... You can't be creative, really, when you're worried about, is this going to work? Is this going to make money? Am I going to, you know, you have to kind of just abandon all that to be creative, I think. But it gets to be really hard, especially with the culture with writing and L.A. and just how intense doing sessions every day and everyone's hustling around you and you think you got to keep up with that. Well, what is the what does the culture look like? Um, it's just, I think for me and for a lot of people in music, we all started making music like I did because I had a crush on this kid. It was like I had to let it out some way. And then yeah. when it, as it becomes your career, it becomes like, all right, I need to fill my calendar up with all these sessions and make sure I'm getting cuts here and doing this and this and this. And it's like that's not really what – how do you fall in love with it in mm-hmm. the first place? And you start hearing yourself think, you know, when you lose an opportunity, it's like devastating. And then it's like, hold on, I wasn't writing songs in the first place because I wanted to have hits or I wanted to get cuts. It was just like – because I had to, and I think remembering that when it becomes a job mm-hmm. is hard, but important. <laughs> When's the first um, like tangible moment when you can remember that it became a job, where a lot of people saw and you know that now new people entered your life, yeah. who were going to help you know steer it? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that it was late for me because I started. You know, I had a band when I was in high school, and yeah. they saw it as a job more than I did. I was just like, this is fun. Like, let's do shows every week. Yeah. Um, and then I think I think probably when I came to L.A. for the first time, I started to realize, like, you know, and, and it is – there's a whole craft to being formulaic and knowing kind of the rules of pop writing, and, and I was learning that, and it's helped me a lot. But kind of knowing that and then putting it on the back burner and remembering – I don't know. I think when 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 I was suddenly around so many people whose job was writing in the studio, it was like, oh, this is work. <laughs> right. And when it feels like work, it's really hard to be creative. So I think it's just about staying around people who are doing it still because it's fun and not because they're worried about what's going to come of it. But can you walk me through like the anatomy of yes. a song from idea to conception to studio session? Yeah. As best you can. Um, it's always different, I think, but, um, sometimes like you'll have an idea in the shower and take that to your session that day, or you'll sit down at some point and write it. But, um, my favorite way to write, just cause I think when you are writing every day, this is the best way to come to ideas is to just have a conversation with someone and talk. I mean, I'm by nature, super inquisitive with the people that I'm working with and people in general. So I'd, I like, I want to understand what's going on with them. And from that, they'll say something or someone in the room will say something that's like, all right, hold on. That's, that's the idea. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because everybody has stuff going on. Everybody has stuff they're dealing with. And I think 
especially when I'm working with artists, that's that's an interesting place to start from because it's like you're going to have to go sing this song a billion times. Like, let's make it true and something that you need to let out. What does a difficult collaboration look like? I think I find it hard when people don't, when people come in with like a concept. Not that that is always a problem, but like, you know, they're like, let's write a song called door handle (laughs) i'm just looking at the door handle so that's my first idea and it's like okay let's just like find a bunch of things that rhyme and make that work (laughs) you know and which is hard but i think when you're when you're talking and you're releasing something that's i find that easier versus just like pulling things out of the air and you do hear of a lot of writers that will come in or it's like is the more successful you get it's like a privilege to get session time or studio time with people yeah and that must be kind of a pain in the ass sometimes because that adds a lot of pressure yeah and at the same time it's a privilege yeah no totally i the pressure is like and and not that i have this down at all like i go through phases and have even in the last couple of months where it's like you do put pressure on yourself there's a certain expectation you know even when when you start having a little bit of success it's like okay now i'm the person in the room that everybody's waiting for me to come up with something it's like to to really abandon all of that and while you're trying to be creative is hard and i i certainly wouldn't claim to know how to do it just talking about it because <laughs> i tried to what was your first experience or collaboration where you realized a lot of people were listening to what you were doing mm, i think i think actually after i did uh don't let me down with the chain smokers mm-hmm. that was like a big shift for me just because um, I felt like there was a new expectation for me and people were sort of gauging me differently when I went, you know, I, we, they don't let me down, got a Grammy. And I'd walk in the room and people would be like, the Grammy winner's here. And it was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually drew from the chain smokers said to me at one point, he was like, the trick is like, we all have taste in music. We've all spent our whole life listening to music. And if you can just be confident in yourself and know that your instincts are good and you don't have to worry about what an A&R is going to think or what a manager is going to think or what radio is going to think and just trust your instinct. If you can remember that, then you'll be in a good place. So they said that to you, right? Then you said that right before you went out at Coachella. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's an, ex- what, what is that experience like playing that, uh, that, that festival? Was- I I didn't do Coachella with them. I was standing side stage weeping, but <laughs> um, that was crazy just because we'd written Don't Let Me Down kind of about the experience of being at Coachella with the intention of being like, all right, what would be comforting to hear if you got lost at Coachella? And then the next year we were watching them do it, which was nuts, just like crazy full circle moment. What was the um, genesis of the meeting with the Chainsmokers? How did you find them or how did they find you? Um, the first time we connected was i had a song it's funny actually it was like the first batch of songs i had written collaboratively one of the songs was until you were gone which uh ended up later getting pitched to them and then they produced it with tritonal and put it out with my voice on it and i think i met them either right before that song came out or right after um at a show and yeah, and then they wanted to do a session, and, and me and my friend Scott ended up going over there, and our first session we wrote Don't Let Me Down, which was crazy. And they've been, like, just the best. I went on tour with them a couple of times, and they've, they're they super supportive, and it's it's just awesome having that kind of a creative relationship mm-hmm. where we're friends, and that's most important, and then it's like, 
we talk and hang out and songs come out of that. It's just like, it's great. <laughs> when, when you have success uh, with a group like that, is there then this feeling like, are you, are you still t- going to be touring with them? Um, what does the collaboration look like now? Um, they're continuing the tour, uh, in Europe. I just think logistically it didn't work out, but I'm writing with them on the new album. The last couple songs that have come out, I did with them. Um, and it's just really cool. Cause like, I think a lot of times when you have success with people, they then like move on to bigger names yeah. and kind of cut you out, which I've experienced a million times, but they've kept me really close and beyond just being grateful for that. I do think there's something to be said for when we go into the room. It's not the first time we've met. We're not like, I'm not trying to get his whole life story, you know, from right there. It's kind of like what's happened this week since I've last seen it's you. It's a shorthand. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it, and you're more like liberated to be creative just because you're not meeting someone for the first time. It's like, we know each other and it's fine. And we'll be right back after this quick break. This podcast is brought to you by Amica Auto Home and Life Insurance. When you call Amica, you can expect a different experience because Amica is all about customer service that goes above and beyond the ordinary. You always get the help you need when you call Amica. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes today. And traditional static offices are a thing of the past. Today, companies and employees want an active workspace. Veridesk helps people reimagine their office design. Being more active at work, like standing more, sitting less, can help improve your health by boosting energy and productivity. Veridesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement in a day. The new ProDesk 60 electric standing desk is the cornerstone of the active office. It's designed with commercial-grade materials, Stable at any height and fully assembled in under five minutes. Plus, all Veritas products are made to last. They're also simple to set up and move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. Check out Veritas products, including the new ProDesk 60 Electric, risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns. Learn more at veridesk.com slash Forbes. That's V-A-R-I desk.com slash Forbes. When the single Paris came out, and your vocals yeah. went uncredited <laughs> at first, and everybody put it together. Yeah. Was it difficult at first to be like, hey, that's, you know, that's me? Um, I, not really, because I knew that was going to happen, and I, I didn't write on that song. I just came in last mm-hmm. minute and did those vocals on it. Um, and it was actually kind of a cool <laughs> moment, because people were like, who is it? And then there was an article on Billboard where it was like, singer of Paris reveals herself. <laughs> So it was totally fine and and fun, and I think they were at a point where, and they're transitioning more into being a band and not so many features, and I think they wanted to do a song that was, Mm -hmm. like, not about a featured singer. What what does it feel like when you know a group like them, and you've spent a lot of personal time with them, Mm -hmm. and then you see a reputation manifest, or people say mean things, or uh, people that you know? Yeah. And it's like if one major outlet says it, that's it kind of just spirals out of control yeah. and becomes like a thing of record. Yeah. And what is that like? Um, it's been really eye opening and interesting just in the sense that like people are try. I mean, the amount of stuff that is said on Twitter about people and without yeah. them getting a chance to defend themselves or hear someone's side of the story is really messed up. And I think, I don't know. I, I, like I was reading, I was seeing the thing about Fergie doing the national anthem and then issuing an apology the other day, which is like, 
I don't know if she needed to issue an apology, but she mm-hmm. was getting totally blown up on Twitter and felt like, okay, everyone hated that. Like, let me say something. But it's just, you don't even get a chance. And the chain smokers have been painted as people that they're straight up not. Like, I know them and they're not like that and I wouldn't hang out with them if yeah. they were. <laughs> yeah. And I think they've dealt with it in a cool way just because this new music is, is about it, basically, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome to make the most of it but i just think it's it's scary it would be scary to be a famous person I mean, it's a all, weird time to be a famous yeah. person actually yeah because like and i don't know people are just all the artists i work with are all having anxieties about you know i didn't even say anything and i'm in trouble i haven't even like done this thing i'm yeah. being accused of and yeah. i'm you know scared that you're gonna scroll through twitter and see someone say something about you that's just completely made up that everyone's latching on to so yeah i don't know i i do think you can't do anything about it if people are criticizing you that heavily you're doing something right because people are aware of you yeah. <laughs> in general. But I know we're focused on Russia and bots right now, <laughs> but I do think that the news and, and Twitter is going to be the next thing because it's such a stomachache. Yeah. I've actually tr- – I think I will maybe at the end of the day delete the Twitter app from my phone wow. because it, it's ter- the news section is terrible. Yeah. And it's, it's either celebrity or it's like politics – but, it doesn't and it's actually, even make you feel good. Yeah. It's like, and you can't do anything about most of it. It's just like poison to read it and see it. And yeah, I don't know. But we all, or not we all, but a lot of people just play into it and retweet stuff and speak out on something before you've read the whole article. And just, I don't know. I don't know what what's going to happen with that or what can be done yeah. about that. But it's definitely a problem. You know, I uh, we were talking earlier. I'm from Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. You, my grandfather uh, said once, somebody was on the phone. This is like 2000. Somebody had a cell phone, and he said, "Throw that thing away," because he was so insulted that the, he was talking, and the person had a, like an old flip phone. So he said, Throw that. and you actually said something like that. Like you, you feel insulted when yeah. people take their phone out in yeah. front of you, and I like that. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. I, yeah. it, it, it's the biggest. Um, it's such a turnoff yeah. socially. And you wrote a song about it, yeah. right? Yeah. I just think it's so weird, like, how okay all of it's become. Like, how often I'm at a restaurant and two people are at dinner together on their phones, like, not speaking the entire time, mm-hmm. and how that's fine. Like, it's not even weird to take your phone out at dinner or have your phone next to you on the table. Like, I don't know. It's sad. <laughs> I hate it. It's nice to hear you say that because you're 25, 25. Yeah. 25 years, yeah. So is there a part of you that um, uh, would li- – but at the same time, social media mm-hmm. has to be such a huge part of the business right now as you produce music and you have to keep an eye on where this song will go yeah. or how many places it can be diced up. So is it hard to reconcile the two things? Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm constantly working out my relationship with it because on one hand I'm like, all right, if I want anyone – to care about my music or pay attention to me, I have to kind of like throw it in front of their face because there's all this other stuff they're looking at and I'll just be forgotten. And then on the other hand, I'm like, but is that like at all what I'm doing? <laughs> be left on. Yeah. Like if, if I have to post every single day for you to listen to my music, then like, but shouldn't it just be about the music? But I don't know. I don't know. And I'm really bad about <laughs> posting and doing covers and all this stuff i'm trying but it's it's hard for me because it's not natural yes and well it's not natural no and i get more out of like sitting and speaking to someone than posting so much so 
I don't know. It's hard. I have, to, I have to give you a great example that I think you'll like. I was ice fishing. I was at my bachelor party yesterday <laughs> in Montreal. Wow. Getting married. Congrats. Thank you. She's the best. <laughs> She's, she, you, you like her. She's very cool. Shout they, out to her. Jenny. <laughs> strong, smart, tough. She's I love the best. It. She, but we all went to a bachelor party in Montreal, and we uh-huh. went ice fishing for like a minute. Yeah. Now, we did so many other things in Montreal. We were having the best time in Montreal, running around Montreal. And then we went ice fishing outside in Quebec, this frozen thing. We were fishing. And it's like we took all the photos there because it was we were, it actually wasn't that fun. You know what I mean? It was freezing. <laughs> right. There's no fish around. We're in huts. Oh but then God. we post yeah. that and everybody – I mean that's the thing. It's like it looks, look at how much fun we're having ice fishing. You know. Yeah. Actually, uh, Scott said the other day because someone said to him – that the problem with social media is you're comparing your behind the scenes to someone's highlights reel, which is like that's right. But it is interesting that like no one and and I do think I have so many thoughts about what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even keep up with my. Please head go right now. go go go. But like I do find that like I do find even with myself when I'm the most bored or lonely or like in a hotel by myself that that's when I'm like really posting you know. <laughs> Like, <laughs> but, but are you posting the hits or the backside? Are you saying I'm so depressed? But right you, now? no, you wouldn't though, no, and you don't like, see that. It's always like I'm in a hotel, it's so mood, sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's like I don't know. I don't know. I I did a a movie. I directed a movie, and I got one of the worst reviews I've ever read in the L.A. Times. <laughs> personally, I don't think it could. Be, there wasn't even a pull quote that you could use. <laughs> To make it seem like this was uh, something worth seeing. Uh, oh I'm not being self-deprecating. I'm being honest. And I posted that on my oh, Instagram. Nice. Yeah. And there it was, you go. It, that was a good feel. Yeah, it was kind of like, you know what, we have to honor what we're doing. Sick. Yeah. I love that. That's a good approach. <laughs> it's, I think so. Do you feel uh, you played SNL? Yeah. What was that experience like? That was nuts. Um, there's actually a shot, I've said this before, but there's a shot where the camera goes to me and I was singing and I think like mid-sentence realized I was on SNL and I go from just having straight face to like this giant goofy smile. <laughs> but that was completely surreal. I'm going like, to give you my honest – and it's my opinion. It's not, yeah. I don't know if it's the right opinion. You're the best thing on that SNL performance. <laughs> You are the best thing on that SNL because I'll be honest. The, the chain smokers—they were—they were a little, they were subdued a little bit in that moment. And I was watching, and you just looked like you were actually having fun. Oh, thank you. I like that. Yeah. Is it hard to bring that music to a small, intimate environment like the Thirty Rock Studio? Yeah, I was shocked. They make it look so much bigger on television, but it's like it's completely tiny and cramped. Um, I actually had um, when I did, I did. I performed Capsize on Kimmel with Friendship, and yeah. I was like, we went to rehearsals, and I was just so, I haven't performed in a long time, certainly never performed on television, so I was really just kind of stiff and scared and nervous, and there was a movement coach there, and he came up to me, and he was like, listen, I know you don't want to dance, like, I'm not going <laughs> to say dance, that's fine, but at least show us what it looks like to have written a song that got you on Kimmel, like, let's just see what that looks like. And I remembered that when we did SNL and then tried to remember it on the tour again, too, which is like instead of worrying about what my body is looking like and how people are reacting to my movements, let me just remember that this is fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> and like that I can't believe I'm here and, and just feel that intensely. So that was what 
hit me halfway through a sentence on SNL. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Under 30 podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask, why? Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to the rate and term in real time? And why can't there be client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. Do you feel that um, you have you went to NYU? Yeah. And does does the experience you've had like in, with producing and engineering is that do those give you some technical advantages now? As, as yeah, well? definitely. Um, I think being able to have the vocabulary, especially as a female, when when you're in a session and you can be like, this needs to be EQ'd this way versus mm-hmm. just being like, make it sound better is awesome and really helpful. I wish I did more producing. I think someday when I have a little more time, I'm going to. But just knowing about it and knowing what – being able to have the language to say what you want is definitely helpful. What was – you went to Trinity High yeah. School, right, in New York, which is like one of the – that's one of the best high schools you can go to yes. in, the, in the city. What is that – what is the school like? What was your experience there? Were you were you musical when you were? I was, and I have to give them credit because since I've complained about it publicly, they've really. (laughs) Have you complained about Trinity publicly? I have, just because, and and not. um, The school is amazing, and like the teachers are amazing, and my education was amazing. But like a lot of schools, and certainly like a lot of private schools, especially New York, there wasn't room for me to be doing something other than trying to go to Harvard. And I think, like, I I started playing in a band when I was in 10th grade, and I was taking it really seriously. And I just had no leeway at all with my schoolwork. And, and I was kind of – I became the kid in the grade who was messing my life up and everything. And it just always felt like, okay, I'm not smoking weed and playing video games. Like, I'm doing something right. legit with my life. And, like, I have a calling early and I'm not being encouraged at all but they've they have I'm going to speak at the school next week and visit their songwriting class and see the new recording studio so things have really changed there which is awesome and I just think it's a problem with obviously I come from a bubble of New York City private school but there is a sort of problem with education Mm -hmm. and early education in America not being 
catered towards people's interests at all. Like you just have to take math until you graduate. Yeah, I know. And do it in college too, for the most part. I I went to a high school where they, if I went to the class or didn't go to the class, it it really didn't make a difference. (laughs) I mean, I don't think anybody. There's so many kids piled Uh, into the. There's just no attention. Yeah. So it was one of those things where when you get to university and you're like, I don't know anything. Yeah. I don't know anything. Right. Way behind. No, totally. So it, it's. I mean, but it's both the two yeah. side, you know. No, totally. There's actually a, a TED talk with Ken Robs or Ken Robinson, I believe mm-hmm. his name is. Um, and he's just talking about like all. It's like legit ideas for how education could be different. Like splitting kids up by age is not necessarily right. Splitting them up in all the ways that were split up and doing this kind of like assembly line mm-hmm. of like now go to this now go to this now go to this and yeah community service here yeah essay here exactly yeah. and i always felt like why are we not learning current events or how to do taxes or anything that i still don't know how to do that like i don't know yeah so <laughs> that's another huge problem <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> i can't think about tackling right now <laughs> i think yeah I, I remember a guidance counselor i asked i mean i was so shy and the guidance counselor was like you i was like she was like what do you want to do i was like maybe write or do something like that she's like that's not a good idea <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good idea you like, can't go to yeah okay yeah. yeah um you said my song poking holes is about little things that you brush under the rug in a relationship that have the capacity to do real damage to the big picture so tell me a little bit about the song and what you mean by that. Um, I think, yeah, we were trying. I, it came from a conversation that I was having with Scott Harris and Nick Ruth, who I wrote the song with. Um, and I actually said the phrase poking holes when I was talking about what I was talking about. Um, and the metaphor we tied in is the idea of like a big painting. If you poke little holes in it, you won't see the little holes until there's a bunch of them and then it's it's destroyed. Um and like little things like not asking enough questions in a relationship <laughs> yeah or like if something's bothering you just kind of being like all right i'm not going to talk about that i don't want to talk about that and just brushing it under yeah. the rug and letting it build up so don't in my relationship that as no matter how uncomfortable it is if we talk about whatever it is even if you don't know what you're saying when you first start talking about it but just kind of allowing yourself to be honest and air frustrations has been the key Mm -hmm. and I think fights in my head with friends or family or relationships or anything are, are so often fights just because you're not talking about what the problem is you're like this shirt is on the floor and it's like not about that at all yeah yeah um and so, you're in a relationship right now? Yes. Yeah, he's the best, too. He's the best, too? <laughs> yeah. With And is he in the business? So yeah, he's a producer, writing? and he is doing most of my album, oh. um, which is a cool. Everyone's always like, how does that work? <laughs> I even do that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think there was, like, a really crucial moment for us. We were writing a song where it was like, all right, am I going to – be weird about this or am I going to just be like, here's an issue I'm having. Let's right. talk about it and let's make a song out of it right now. And we did it. And as uncomfortable and crazy as it was, it ended up being super therapeutic and, and healing just cause you do have to, I mean, and it takes, he's amazing about all this and super supportive. So I can like poking holes is harsh. It's about our relationship and 
everyone's interpreting it as like a love gone so wrong, breakup, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's just a tiny, tiny moment that I made a big deal out of. Um, And he's super receptive to that. But I think there is a certain level sometimes of being like, all right, you're talking about like really personal stuff and lots of people are going to hear it. Um, So yeah, that's, that has its complications, but we talk about it. So it's cool. It's very healthy. And time (laughs) is good because the, uh, I was on a plane last night. I got an email from my fiance and I, it was like, I I felt under attack (laughs) reading the email. It was like things I needed to do for the wedding. and And I was like, I was so, I got up, walked up and down the aisle. I was ready to like write back a vicious response. I was, a, and then I closed the laptop, thought about it for an hour, and then I reread the same email an hour later. Oh, halfway through, fine. and I was like, it's actually pretty polite. <laughs> it's like a mild email, <gasps> yeah. But we're so sensitive. Yeah. Sometimes it is just giving yourself a little buffer. That's so true. Totally. There you go. This just turned into a whole therapy advice. session. But I love uh, it. <laughs> is it difficult to take a song and make it an EDM style piece when maybe it wasn't? From the um, beginning. E- it depends. I think a lot of the stuff that I've had that ended up being EDM was a, was a ballad. Like, Phone Down was fully a ballad mm-hmm. um, that they had the job of turning into an EDM song. But I think you do um, have to be careful just with, is the message still there? Is it still genuine, even though it has all these, like, big production around it? Although, I do think sometimes if you start with a ballad with meaningful lyrics and then you make it EDM. There's a cool combo of like, I I just think people enjoy dancing to music more than they do like sitting and crying to music. So if you can get that sad lyric and then put it over something that people want to dance to, then there's something cool about that. You're writing something right now. You're writing it. Tell us what it is. What can you say? Um, I am writing my first album and it's just been cool because I think on the writing side, I just kept finding that there were certain songs that I was writing for pitch that I wanted to hold on to that I didn't, I wasn't really down to have other people cut. Uh, And that's when I realized that I have some things that I personally want to say. And so this album is that it's just, it's just been fun because it's me sort of creatively expressing myself and me deciding what it's going to sound like and what the video is going to look like, which are things that I don't have so much control over on the writing side. So it's just, it's been awesome. And that's what I'm working on. And how far how far along are you in the process? The songs are all written, and we're just finishing up production on most of them and doing some videos, so it's getting really close. Let me ask you, when you're in session, how uh, how normal is it to ad-lib in the studio? What do you mean? Like, if you have a song or something written, will you ever come in and just try something new? On? On, as you're, as you're producing an album? Um... Yeah, I think actually that's been happening a lot and why it's part of the reason why it's not finished is because every time we go in to finish stuff, we end up just making new songs. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like if I had an essay or something, you keep, yeah. you keep revisiting it. You keep finding ways to improve it. Totally. And that's, that's why it's hard to, uh, and just interesting, m- me having the final say on this project and being like, cool, this song is done is totally different than having a label with someone else's project being like, cool, we need this and now it's done. I mean, I think I have to think critically in a way I haven't had to before and it's a challenge but a fun challenge all right we got it (laughs) thank you so much that was great thank you so much that's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcastone.com. 
Hi, I'm Spencer Raskoff, the CEO of Zillow Group, and I have a new podcast here on Podcast One called Office Hours. Listen as I have one-on-one conversations with other CEOs. We have the kind of conversations that can only happen between peers, tackling tough questions, sharing hard-won insights, and helping to define what leadership means today. Join me twice a month on Office Hours, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.